Hey everyone, welcome to the Mass Construction Show with today's guest, Chris McPherson, President at Central. I'm your host, Joe Kelly, and this is a podcast about all things construction in Massachusetts and beyond. In this episode, Chris and I discuss Central's decision to purchase a stud roller that will not only manufacture stud and track in-house, but will also cut the pieces to length based on the model uploaded. This is a fascinating first step in the carpentry world from builders to manufacturers. I'm excited to see what this means for our future. Now, I haven't hounded everybody lately, so if you've enjoyed the show, I'd appreciate it if you could like, share, review, or support our show in any way you see fit. I'm forever grateful for the role that MassCons have played in this show's growth. Today's show is brought to you by Central, commercial carpenters, and supporters of our conversation. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Mass Construction Show. Thanks, Joe. Good to be here. Yep. And I will say, just make sure, don't forget about staying close to the mic. Um, you had mentioned the, and you, I asked you ahead of time, cause I always forget the name. It's called Irene. You guys purchased a, what I'm calling a stud roller, but it's really, how would you describe the piece of equipment? I would say a stud roller. Yeah. yeah. So it produces, uh, it manufactures, it's probably a fair statement, manufactures studs cut to fit based off of a model that gets sent in. Yeah, we can do it from, we can use the information from a model. It doesn't need to be. We can kind of just input them through a pretty typical kind of process to put in the configuration we want, the length we want, but studs track. Okay. So if you just wanted to produce like a hundred of one thing, you could put in a length, put in a gauge, and I don't know if you got to put the sizing of the leg or whatever, and it could just pump out a hundred, 10 foot long of those. Yes. And it would do it. Okay. So... We're here today to talk about this technology, this piece of equipment in my, and this is all in my mind, not, not yours, uh, your investment, what the thought process was. So like, to me, this is just exciting. So this is basically this new, a new fucking toy, um, probably inexpensive. Makes, toy. Yeah, I say, makes Legos look reasonable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I've got a lot of questions about it. And what's funny is if anyone's watching, I have probably 15 questions on here at least and i will tell you this every podcast i do i start with probably four to five questions and that's what i share somebody and i always say like listen i don't want it to be an interview i just want us to talk about whatever topic we decided to talk about and those four or five questions are a guide to the conversation just to let people get some people get really uncomfortable if they don't know what the questions are ahead of time. You know, it's just personality thing. Like, I'm fine if you're just like, hey, come over here. And we're going to talk about stuff. I'm like, okay, great. Other people were like, oh, no, if I don't know what I'm talking about, they kind of wig out. So I usually put a few there. It helps me think about it and helps the, the guests think about it. But this one is much different only because I basically have a ton of questions about it and I'm hoping you'll be willing, and I think we've had enough conversations that uh, I believe you are, willing to kind of just share what the thought process is and kind of go on the record, which a lot of people aren't necessarily willing to do because they don't, uh, A, they're worried about a competitor, or B, they don't want egg on their face if it doesn't work out that way. But I think the most value to listeners when people are really vulnerable enough to say, hey, here's what I'm thinking. I might be wrong. I'm not showing up saying I'm the expert. This is this was my thought process. This is what we're hoping to get out of it. And then uh, when we were having coffee before, I would like to 
you know, a year or maybe two makes more sense or whatever the right timing is after you start getting some reps with this and can have some real data. I'd love to regroup and kind of talk about these things again. So for people listening, that's the goal of today. So I'm going to pepper Chris with a lot of questions and we're going to have discussions about your take on things. Sound good? I guess so. Sorry. That was my monologue. So what was your first introduction to a stud roller and what kind of, you know, got the ball rolling with this process? I'm now struggling to kind of go back in time and understand what came first because a lot of things have just kind of evolved over the last five to 10 years. Hmm. Um, I've got friends in the industry, different parts of the country with stud rollers. And we also had the opportunity to use a Howick machine at Autodesk in the seaport to build out Autodesk's own space. And it was something we did with Turner whatever right around the time of the article so we yeah. probably wrapped it up maybe six months before that um so those were kind of the early things we're hearing from others in the industry that have made the kind of took taking the plunge to buy one as well as using as well as using one in a client's own facility which is yeah kind of a unique set of circumstances that probably won't be repeated too often okay and for folks that don't know howick is just another brand name of a stud roller how yeah howick is one of the big names in in stud rolling that was the machine that was at out of desk in any idea how many are in the marketplace? It seems like there's a growing number. So I think that there's a couple of different, almost like parts of the stud rolling market. I don't know what Clark Dietrich and Semco and some of the big production, you know, uh, people use to roll. Yeah, I think there's more that are kind of a direct to contractor type market that would include Howick, FrameCAD, this Irene is is the the version that we're going to use, mm-hmm. which is which is new. I don't believe it's kind of technically on the market yet. Okay. And now, um, did you, you listen to the Mike Jackson episode? Yeah. What did they end up? I don't remember. Which one did they purchase? If I recall, they have multiple different manufacturers. Okay. I don't know that he stated which ones, but it okay. sounded like there was a handful of different. Yeah. And I didn't think it was Howick or what's the other one that's the big one? Framecad? Yeah. I, I don't yeah. I don't remember if he did list them by name. Okay. What I, my recall was, it wasn't he. He went with a you know, you know, not Coke and Pepsi version of a roller, and, and and it was a lot to do with what software they could use. And I definitely want to talk about that. Now you mentioned uh, friends in the industry that have them. Now I think that's your part of a peer group. I am. What's that? Because I've I know that's not what we're here to talk about, but I've know a couple of other business owners that just say they find a tremendous amount of value in peer groups. And I was surprised how many people are actually involved with peer groups. And they're like, oh yeah, I'm flying down to North Carolina for the peer group. I mean, I know a lot of people that invest a lot of time and probably money to be involved with them. What's, um, what is it for a person who doesn't, who might not be aware? Uh, so I think the peer group I'm a part of has been a big part of our success and hopefully we've been a big part of their success. Uh, the company has been, Central has been a part of this group for under 20 years, but probably closing in 15, 15 plus years. Um, and it's a group of contractors, very similar in that we're all kind of at our core drywall based contractors spread around the country. And so because we don't compete geographically, we're able to have kind of a, a level of trust and help that you couldn't replicate. And I've got, you know, great competitors in this market that I'm fortunate to have good relationships with, but you can't share the same things with local competition that you can with this group because we don't compete. And then do they limit who can be involved, like total number of people or like, listen, 
it's one per region or how do they go about it? There's there's a kind of rules of engagement within the group I'm a part of. I don't know how every different our group is facilitated by FMI, the the consultant consulting group. Huh. That was my next question. Who like kind of runs this thing? I know in our case it's FMI. I know that there are other like uh, groups that are put together through industry associations and others, but we have kind of a professional facilitator that kind of helps keep us all on the same. Uh... Oh, interesting. So you there's some because otherwise it would just it would kind. Of... It would fall apart because it wouldn't be somebody kind of pushing the discussion and doing the logistics and all that other kind of stuff. I think at this point, our group is is cohesive enough that it would work, but it's helpful to have somebody um, throw out questions, kind of steer conversations, steer topics, make, sh- make sure that we quit to go to lunch and things like that. Okay, great. Forgive me. I'm just, I want to put, a, I always like having a backup recording just in case something goes sideways with the camera. Yeah, so... For people that are listening, you know, you found them through FMI. Are there like trade associations that have them as well that you know of? Or I believe there are some through AWCI, which is a wall and ceiling group. And, you know, obviously I know the listeners is a bunch of different uh, trades and general contractors and whatnot. I, I'm mm-hmm. sure there's groups okay. for for everybody. Yeah. Okay. That's, but yeah, it's, it's been a huge, huge opportunity to, to learn from others. Yeah. I think people listening that, you know, just, you know, you're a PM three years in the business and they just, that's something that I think they would be interested in. Not that that would be the a fit for them, but the fact that businesses are out there doing that, I think it's something that people are kind of unaware of. Yeah, I think that it is somewhat unique, and hopefully, there's there's appropriate groups for for different um, different things. I think large, you know, super large multi location contractors can probably do it internally, but for those of us that have one location, we we call it world headquarters, but we have one office. Uh, <laughs> It's a, it's a different opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to kind of have uh, have a pool of people that in other companies can probably do it internally, but it is most of the peer groups I'm aware of are generally kind of at the ownership or like high executive level. Yeah, and just a place to have honest conversations. Yeah, and I, I there's been so many huge conversations that somebody will reach out on Saturday morning and say, "Hey, we've got this nightmare situation." Whether it's um, you know, real life stuff that that can come up and it's amazing to see how fast people pitch in. And there's been people that fly to Boston to help me with things on short notice to, I I couldn't speak highly enough about the group. That's impressive. So you spoke to folks at the thing we've just talked fucking 20 minutes on peer group. Thank you. Um, You spoke to people in peer group. They were using stud rollers. They were having success with them. You had the project at Autodesk, so you finally got your hands on it. So in between from hearing of, you know, non-competitors, but people in the industry that were using them, that kind of piqued the interest? Yeah, I'd say it's been slowly, steadily building. Kind of knowing that, knowing that the opportunity was out there, I basically finally realized it was time to take the plunge. Okay. And my guess is this was pretty decent. It was a long horizon here to get to a long timeline to make that decision. Were there things along the way that kind of continually pushed you to make that decision? Or how did you get there to to decide that this is going to be a big investment that you would, that you don't necessarily know? You're going to buy this thing and in good faith, you're going to hope that this works out, right? Yes, yes. It's not like you're... There's a leap of faith that, you know, it's a a big investment, both in terms of physical dollars and, and buying the... The platform, but also kind of taking the time as a, as a company to think through 
you know, who's going to manage this, who's going to run this, who's going to make these decisions, where are we going to start, where are we going to finish, what is the strategy? To... Yeah, so, like, how did you get there? Like, I look at it this way, like, if certain investments are like, okay, we have this job lined up, we know we can use this machine, uh, let's say it's a piece of equipment or whatever you're going to do, I've got this new drill rig and we just we just won this job to do, you know, a 500-pile job, we're going to invest 300000 in this drill rig and we're going to make this back, so... You don't have that luxury. It's probably more like, okay, hey, I'm going to buy or build an apartment building and I hope I can rent it out. You'll probably do research along the way or a thought process along the way. Like what were you thinking along the way that kind of got you to the place where you're like, okay, yeah, we're going to pull, we're going to pull the trigger. The quick combination of things was a couple of people in the peer group saying, stop overthinking it and just buy the damn thing, which spoke to me on a level because I, I am somebody that would rather see it make sense on a spreadsheet before making a big mm-hmm. investment. But a lot of a lot of people urge me to kind of get out of my own way is probably the best way to put it and, and take the plunge. But we have looked at it. There's not a single job that's going to pay this off for better or worse. Yep. At the same time, just kind of that, that sense of making – it'll pay for itself over time through maybe a little bit of material savings, a little bit of marketing, a little bit of – um, opportunities to prefab things that we wouldn't take on otherwise, you know, labor savings through the different um, elements that we'll be able to roll, the different, you know, studs, the different pieces cut to length, things that we wouldn't need to drag to a chop saw and, and so on and so forth. Hmm. So some of it was... Some uh, of those fire watches that we won't be able to, we won't have to use because everything will be cut to length. Yeah, there you go. No, it's, it's reality, a huge, right? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it'll be a huge safety, huge logistic cost savings, labor savings, material savings. Okay. So a mix of, I like the honesty, just fucking rip the bandaid off and get the damn thing and some logic. And now how, how much was, were you seeing that prefab is becoming more and more of a part of your business? And this is, do you look at this as like an an adjunct to prefab or like, you know, is this kind of go hand in hand with, with prefabrication and kind of almost like lean all fit together where like okay uh, reducing wastes minimizing steps uh, you know rather than purchasing sizing bring it to the shop cut it in the shop like you know how much did that whole kind of mindset of lean and prefabrication everything drive this purchase because to me i feel like that would be a big it's a huge driver, and I, Sorry, I, the, way I, the way I think about it is like I think a prefab is on a spectrum. There's times where I use prefab, the term prefab very loosely in the sense that some of it isn't prefab. It's just using a new technique on something we're doing on site or mm-hmm. using a new material. But I think it's important to kind of think about it in the, the context of prefabrication, even if it isn't truly assembling anything off site. And so to me, it's a spectrum. I think this will be a huge opportunity for us to use in true prefabrication, but all the way to the... Uh, most simple things of and maybe instead of cutting something on site, we're cutting it effectively off site. So where people have a definition of prefab can be pretty huge. And I honestly probably think of lean in a, in a similar thing. I think there obviously there's a huge correlation with good prefabrication and lean, but yeah, I view it, view it there. And in the group and the different people that I've talked to that use the stud rollers use them for a variety of purposes. No one, no one is rolling, Oh, for one, we don't expect to roll even the majority of our own framing. This, this is going to be something we're going to be using. Selectively? 
Yeah, we expect it to kind of grow over time as we figure out what works, but I don't think we're not intending to kind of, we have no illusions that we're going to be the, you know, roll as efficiently as Clark Dietrich or, mm -hmm. you know, any of the other people in the EB metals and Semco and, you know, the tons of, you know, Marino wear and all the other manufacturers. Yeah. It's funny that you describe it as a spectrum because I, as you were talking, I was, as you were describing it, I'm like, oh yeah, he's, he's right here. Because in my mind, just by pre-cutting things is prefab, right? You know, like, okay, hey, we're going to have everything pre-cut when it shows up a site, like, and maybe we bundle it as a room. That's like prefabrication to me. But you're right. Like some people might look at it and say like, no, the entire thing is built and it shows up in a crane, you drop it on the foundation and that's prefabrication, but it's a spectrum. It's all prefabrication. So many different, you know, blogs, podcasts, and everyone's, you know, so many different ways I've absorbed the prefab conversation over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. And hmm. yeah, some people consider it has to be volumetric. Some people it has to be assembled. Some people, it, it, yeah. I, I try to, I try not to define it too much in my head and just use it as a more of a direction than a definition. Yeah. And what can we, to me, it's like, can you remove steps in the process and you do things in a different location? I don't even want to say offsite sometimes it's yeah. on site, right? Where yeah. you have, a, you know, you're prefabbing handrails, right? That's prefabrication. You're not walking out there with stuff and cutting it in the moment and putting it, you're prefabbing everything. You're cutting all the triangles for the supports where the, you know, the horizontal and the lateral piece meet, and then you're screwing them together and you just get all the efficiencies in there. So like just how, uh, you know, how can we be more efficient? So to me is it's, you know, are you doing it in a different location? Are you reducing steps? And to me, if you're doing those things, then in some sense, you're prefabricating, yeah, right? Yeah. You're being, maybe just better, you're being more efficient. Again, I just, I, I say yes to all of it. It's, yeah, it all fits together. Yeah. Yes, we could split hairs, but. So scratching a little deeper. So you looked at it and you said, okay, you mentioned cost right so is there a thought there where okay hey we can buy raw materials at a much cheaper price than and i know and i i'm gonna couch this by saying i'm realizing that i'm not saying that you're had any ideas that you're going to be a production manufacturer of studs i get but i'm saying cumulatively you could look at and say okay maybe we we lose some efficiency versus buying it but we save some costs from a material standpoint and Maybe we save a half a percent there and then not having a fire watch or spending time on hot work permits. We save another quarter percent there. Was it that you were looking at all these things and then it kind of eventually kind of created a critical mass where like, you know what, there's enough savings and efficiency and marketing and like is what all those came together and kind of got you to that place or? Yeah, we ran a couple of different scenarios in terms of if we did this if we did that in the end it just became okay if, if we had a third of those ideas we're going to be going the right where it will pay for itself if a third of the concepts come through accurately and we took the plunge and i think some people and i, I want to say it might have been kevin astano that we've talked about previously kind of our head of vdc and now prefab saying ultimately this is where the company's going we can't go where the company's going without doing it I like that. And that was similar to the peer group of saying, hey, just shut up and do it. 
was. Okay. And then why did you settle on Irene versus others in the market? You know, I, I know Mike Jackson was talking about it had to do with how the models the models were created in and that was a big driver for him what was the driver for you deciding on irene versus you know howard or framecat or whatever i don't think there's a wrong decision it was the one that kind of i ended up saying was was right for us i think a, a certain trust in in people that have kind of taken the plunge some of the other machines and i think over time they change but the more flexible platform in terms of being able to roll anything from two and a half to six inch up to 16 gauge at the moment, we're looking to figure out how far, could it reliably roll more than that mm. without without taxing the motors too far. Okay. So this was about what was, wasn't about necessarily the software that uh, guides it. It was more the uh, production range. I would say that's a big one. And all the, uh, I shouldn't say all, my sense is that the different companies producing stud rollers have different products that fit different needs. It's like buying a, a car, you know, you, you say you want an F-150, but there's a thousand variations of an F-150. Yep. It's not that Framecad or, or Howick or any of the other ones can't can't make a similar machine. But when we got done weighing them all, it was just, honestly, you know, I, I'm not trying to avoid it. There's just not a firm answer of like, this is what it was. Okay. That makes sense. So it's kind of like, okay, I could get a Tundra F-150 or a Chevy 1500 Silverado. Which one did you like more? Yeah, right. I do drive an F one fifty, but the but yeah. there's it's hard to point to it yeah. and say this is this one's better. Okay. Everyone's got a neighbor that'll have Tell an you. opinion on that one, but yep. okay, that's interesting. So it wasn't like there was so, so they're very similar. It's not like okay, it's you know, do you want a you know a two wheel two wheel drive Ranger or F three fifty? Yeah, I think the. Some of them do produce kind of what is a stud shape and use it as a track by punching out the flange. That was, and I don't know if now they will produce a true track shape, but that was important to us to keep a normal shape, both for the comfort of the people, kind of the carpenters seeing what they're used to, but also if you had located the stud wrong when you planned using it with that detail, then you'd have to go and snip the flange to kind of fit the stud in in the appropriate spot. That was something we didn't want to deal with. That we okay. kind of rather the traditional stud and track approach. Okay. So this will roll both the stud and the track? Correct. Okay. That's good. So in what you're saying is the there's some products where like, okay, so 16 inches on center, that stud snaps into the track. Or if you laid it out differently in the machine, but for whatever reason you're in the field, you can't put it at 16. You got to put it at 18 you would have to modify the stud with some of them. You'd have to modify the track. You'd have to modify the track what, with some of them. It's the same profile, but what you would lay down on the ground like a track, you'd have to modify. Yeah. Uh, and rather than doing that, you're like, let's just... Okay. That's... Professional wiggle room. Okay. That's fair. So the modeling didn't didn't really play into it. That's... I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Um, to, uh, to Mike's point is they all do have different interfaces, whether it's from the model, whether what goes from a CSV file, what goes through all the different kind of add-ins and plugins to Revit. Uh, I was just about to say, I think that was his thing. He's like, he wanted, because the product, all the designs he was getting were in Revit, he wanted, I think he might've wanted it to be in, to be able to be able to just feed a Revit, Revit model into it. And, you know, some of them had proprietary modeling software. Yeah. Did you see any of that? Call Kevin. Basically call Kevin. I was yeah, trying yeah. to think of the right way to say it. But yeah. <laughs> okay. Good answer. I made sure Kevin supported this decision. Put it that way. Good. Yeah. Kevin, don't go anywhere. And, and Steve Madden also on his team. I don't want to. 
Kevin yeah. deserves a lot of credit, but not all of it. Yeah, got it. What's your thoughts around um, looking at this as uh, kind of dipping your toe into like beyond prefabrication and now into you're really to some degree becoming a manufacturer? Even though that's not your primary business, but you're manufacturing product. Was there any concern around, hey, we're not built to manufacture? Like I think about someone who's manufacturing thing, which are like, okay, where you look at Cox, whatever, they're constantly monitoring raw materials and thinking about pre-purchasing, you know, do we, you know, buy futures, protect again? I know you're not going to be doing that, but you're starting to dip your toe in that world where um, you're going to have to start to operate a little differently. And I, and I know I, don't know, I I have the luxury of, we've had this conversation a little bit before, but in, and I know you're saying you're not, you, you're not going to go this route, but I look at it as if the site were a contractor, they buying a machine and they're saying, okay, if this machine is sitting idle, we're losing money because you know, we're paying a note on it, just like if someone buys a building, if, if it's sitting there vacant, you're losing money, right? So what's your thought around, okay, we're leaving becoming a carpentry company, construction company to a manufacturer? I think, unfortunately, I now do have a uh, link in my favorites bar of Steel Futures. And hmm, so it's something we are going to monitor and have to think about. I mean, at the end of the day, you're right. We, it does change who we are as a company. My hope is just not, not to overthink it. At the end of the day, I don't think that we're, we'd be competitive in the marketplace with a manufacturer. So the, what it's really there to do is support the company, support Central and what we do. The decisions we make over time, I think this will be a great one to come back to and see mm-hmm. over time what we are doing in that regard. But it, it's designed to, you know, people talk about kind of like vertical integration. It's really vertical integration. It's not necessarily like a separate business line. Okay. Yeah, I would be curious two years from now if, because um, if if one's successful, is there two? Is there three? Could you look at um, when Mike was talking? I think they're up to at least a, they were at at least two, if not three, machines at PDM, and you know, then do you have somebody on staff that's really um, almost like um, you have your prefab shop, and then you might have a manufacturing shop? Like, could you see a place? I'm not saying that you're planning for that, but could you see a place where that so we gotta get We got to get started, but I think it, from what I understand, a lot of people have, have started with one and they end up with multiple. So I definitely recognize it's within the realm of possibility. And what we're trying to do is, and honestly, one of the, it's probably a good time to mention it. We want to start now. We want to get our feet wet, but we want to hear from customers, like, where are we delivering value? If somebody says, stop it with the prefab, just, you know, this is what we want. We want to hear that from people. We think it just gives us more tools, but we don't know exactly where this is going. Mm, it's funny. That was what, that was my next question is like, where do you see this machine being an asset to your clients? Cause I can kind of naturally see where it's an asset to your company, but where, where do you see your client benefiting? Our timing is brutal, but two years ago, kind of early COVID when there was huge lead time concerns, you know, that is something that mm. would have been, a bigger asset so but i don't know if if that would ever return then you know that's going to be a simple simple advantage if, if we're one that can get studs and other people can't i think it'll bring different things to different customers 
based on who the customer is, but also the project is there's some projects that are going to be natural fits for prefabrication, whether it's repetitive, repetitive details or an exterior wall, especially if we can start seeing more what we call flyby conditions where the plane of the exterior wall goes past the slab and doesn't meet the slab. Yep. Locations like that are, are primed to prefab the exterior wall. But for years, we've been prefabbing a lot of head walls in hospitals. We've been doing a lot of different things that, so for not necessarily client, but client specific, but kind of sector specific, mm. there'll be different value adds. Yeah. Uh, so you- I think with repetitive details is there. We've looked at a lot of hard to access spots as being huge, even if it's not repetitive per se, but if it's hard to access and we can get, you know, you know, Boston's a funky city. So a lot of old, super tight mechanical rooms where you can't get around. Yeah. Yeah. Or if, if we can get to where can a boom reach is a lot of times you can't put, you know, certain weight on certain slabs. So rather than trying to put a scissor lift on certain part of somebody's roof, can we, can we fly it straight in with a crane and avoid that? Hmm. And for folks that don't know, could you just explain what a head wall is? The, what, the way I think of it, hopefully I'm right, is the kind of the wall behind a patient bed. Yeah where if you're in a hospital, you see all like kind of the med gas, the electrical, the instrumentation there. Uh, what we're seeing more and more is we'll build a sill and build kind of a, what's effectively a soffit above and work with mechanical trade partners to build the wall offsite and then, um, then install it. Yeah. You can actually see some good ones on our Instagram. I was about to say, like, I thought I remembered that. I was about to ask you, but yeah, you have them on. Hopefully we didn't take them down. Yeah. You had some good shots on Instagram and then, uh, Local 103 has like some really nice mock-ups that they put their apprentices through of head walls. Okay. So you can go in and see them have that all built out. Nice. So, um, yeah. And then the flyby condition, like you said. So rather than having the bottom track sit on the slab and then the top track to the underside of the slab, it's more like balloon framing where the wall just goes right on by. So now you're talking about, what, 25 foot? I mean, it, it, it can depend. Yeah, bigger, you yeah. can do it longer. There's a lot of different ways to approach it, but it makes it easier. There's, um, You can figure out the deflection and the details easier. There's um, there's fewer things in the way. There's fewer critical dimensions, and there's more in our control, which makes those details easier. Yeah, and then so you just have like a clip that's on the edge of slab, and then what do you do? Do you go out there with a lull or a crane and um, – fasten onto the clips is that how yeah, you prefab that yeah we've and again we've done we've done limited bits it was one an interesting one that we prefab some exterior wall a small section but it was in kind of a courtyard that was tough to access otherwise <laughs> i believe it was kind of a stairwell within a courtyard and we said it was the safest and easiest way just to do fly it. it right over the top and drop it into the courtyard and to, to be honest i wasn't there i'm not sure exactly yeah. how we did it but we got yeah. it in there nice and um I'm putting this together as we go and it's almost like I don't mean this in a negative way, but this is almost like, okay, this is an experiment and you're using it like, okay, grasping. It's funny going in. I was thinking, you know, you would have all these metrics or thoughts or plans and you have them, but it's kind of like more like you've sketched out, Hey, this is kind of where we see it, but we won't know until, we get the thing and start actually using it. Is that a fair assessment? It is. I think for people that know me, I've got 17 different spreadsheets looking at this, but in the end it was just go do it. Yeah. The only way to like, so someone be like, okay, someone can uh, 
teach you how to shoot a basketball. You know, okay, you're going to have your elbow in, you're going to do this, and you're going to read books about this and that. But until you go pick up a ball and try to actually shoot the thing, you're, you're not going to know what you're doing, right? <laughs> in fairness, I never figured that one out. <laughs> a guy can't hit a layup. But <laughs> yeah, but it, it's similar. Is No matter who you talk to, everyone's going to see it differently. The team within Central is going to be different. Is some Internally, we're all going to look at details and say there's – Everyone's going to have an opinion about the right way to do something, and it's going to be different. This is a tool that enables the people that want to use it to use it. I think over time, hopefully, we're learning from each other where it's the most successful. But in the beginning, it's chaos is probably closer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Closer to You'd be lying if you said you had it all figured out. Yeah. yeah, don't, don't, please don't think that. Yep. Where are some places, though, if you, you know, in your planning, where are some places where you think, um, if, if you could give like a couple examples for people, like where are a couple examples of places where you think this might make you more productive or profitable or whatever the right term there is? Anything with a lot of cuts. I think we've, well, we've been doing what we call like window kits and door kits. But if we have repetitive details where we know what we're going to have to cut to length, this is a great tool for it. We can plan so that the work is, everything's in a position for the carpenters to use. It's going to, it's going to make us more prepared. We're not going to have to, we shouldn't have to measure everything this day and age. The information's in the model or it's predictable. Let's go do it. So I think any repetitive detail, whether it's windows and doors within something, or if we had to fill in a beam and fill, there, there's so many different knee walls and uh, certain soffit conditions like, is where we really expect to take off. Do you think beginning. like complicated angles? Yeah, we've done, we've done a fair bit of kind of jigs for that, that we'll definitely be using a stud roller for. Um, and then it's funny, the other place when I was asking you about where you thought it could brought, bring value to clients, I almost thought is if you had clients that were like, hey, when they if they got like really aggressive with sustainability and they're like, we want to do zero waste. This is as close as you're ever going to get. Right. It's it's unbelievable that when we looked at the machine, they kind of had like a little hopper of the basically the punch outs from the metal was is the only way that is the way i mean in a qaqc process we'll you know we'll definitely burn a few studs when if it doesn't roll right i mean it's an, it's an imperfect technology it doesn't mm -hmm. um it is a metal roller so you will have to qaqc through it and i'm sure we'll be putting them there but even people said you can end up using that for kind of um done Flat it or or kind of holding uh, kits together basically hmm. and then just some just pure like vanity metrics here like if you got this thing cranking, what could you, what's the output on this machine? Like, is there a linear feet per day that you could do? Is it, how does it? Uh... I think, I don't really truthfully know. I think that there's a huge difference between like the theoretical capacity and reality. Mm -hmm. If we were rolling the same profile, so if it was like three and five eighths studs all day long. Eight footers, like, or whatever. I We're talking about trying to, you know, win mm -hmm. the land speed record hopefully they're 20 footers because the machine has to stop in order for the shear to come down and and cut, cut. it so I, I think in that way i don't know but you know you might be able to hit like a 15 or twenty thousand linear feet or something like that we're expecting to you know maybe do forty thousand in a week because the reality is is that we're going to be doing it for unique circumstances not mass production okay and are you getting are you going to get a new facility for this or what's the we're going to have plan? to grow. Yeah, we're going to have to do something. So right now we have a temporary kind of subleased some space and we're going to jam it in there. Central's been in the same building for the last uh, close to 40 years. Oh, wow. So we were, we were out of space and it, we kind of finally admitted it. Mm -hmm. But we need to figure out the long-term strategy. But right now we got to 
kind of we have a band aid. If anybody has a large empty building they're willing to sell for cheap, please let me know. We'd but love to have you, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Love love that call, but we do need to figure that out. Okay, um, I I get that this is way down the line, but do you ever think um, you would sell to other contractors? I don't want to at first, just because I want to make sure that I don't want to sell somebody to well, a line that is is wrong, but. I do see it as a possibility, probably not in the the near term, but yeah, at some point in yeah, certainly yeah. something I'd entertain. But uh, the the reason we kind of bought it on the basis of using it for central, um, and with the understanding that this is entirely a learning process, do you have any goals for it? Like in you know it, you know we'd like to do you know five percent of our uh, our total work to be you know, pressed ourselves or rolled ourselves, or we want to at least have two jobs or we want to make sure we're doing all of our head walls. Is there, is there, are there some goals going, going into this? Honestly, it's such a obvious question that I, I don't have a real answer to. I would hope anything like a head wall, I would hope we're rolling, but I don't have like stated goals in that way. Hmm. My expectation was kind of after six months to see what we're doing and if to make sure that we're on the right track and, and regroup then, but I didn't want to, I know I don't know the answers today, so I didn't want to feed a. Um, I didn't want to create bad goals just to roll. I want to make sure that we were doing it kind of in, holistically, but I, I do need to come up with something. Yeah, yeah. Cause, so you would say you want to make sure you're doing head walls. You want to make sure anything with a lot of cuts that you're doing on this. Do you think there's going to be? a change in mindset of the people that are working at central. I think the mindset's already started to change. I think it's, it's building it fully into the culture. We, we were talking about kind of doing hosting like a happy hour there. I'll, I'll hopefully invite you if we figure this out when we get it up and running to kind of introduce it to people in a casual, casual way. I think our mindset has been changing. We have been prefabbing. We've just been using kind of market available metal. Hmm. Hopefully it'll just streamline it for us and make it, easier to explain outside the organization what we're doing and why we you know people are still surprised when we ask for a model when at time of bidding people like it'll hopefully change how the marketplace looks at at opportunities like this okay yeah i mean you guys have done this to some degree before which is i remember back when i was at the agc and Kevin first came on the fact that a drywaller Dude. had a VDC guy, right? Cause that's what everyone was saying back then or yeah. a BIM guy. Cause there was, I don't even know if, you know, VDC was understood to be a term, but it was like, Oh yeah. Drywall guy having a BIM guy. Like, Oh, that, that's that really necessary. Fast forward. Now it's almost like, how could you not have one? So and I, for us, I don't know everybody's situation in, in the market, but for us, it's a, it's a part of who we are. Yeah. And I can't imagine that the same conversation will be five, 10 years from now. Like couldn't imagine not having stud roller. Absolutely. That said, I know we, we took the plunge and got a panel max to kind of mill drywall, which a number of our competitors have, but other people bought it in the marketplace. So I don't know what other solutions will be out there. And I imagine, you know, at the end of the day, there's plenty of successful companies in this market. You know, unfortunately I got great competition. Yeah. So yep. there's not one way to do it. Okay. What's panel max? Is it like a CNC kind of, Effectively, yes. It's like a it, router? It's a that... router that mills kind of a 90% groove out of the back of drywall. And if you 
hopefully if, if you see it on video, I'm moving my hands in a way that hopefully somebody understands, but you essentially fold the drywall, but leave the paper intact okay. to form, form like an oh, so you have inside bend. corners and yeah, eventually, essentially you're replacing the corner bead Huh. and a lot of, excuse me, this is probably a good way to explain yeah. a lot of the process internally was kind of based around our success. There was much lower investment, but when we made that investment, probably getting close to 10 years ago, it was a leap of faith that ended up working itself out. We never kind of officially proved it on a spreadsheet there either, but the plunge did it, it worked. And now we're kind of making that same investment on a larger scale, huh. but the panel max, um, yeah, you basically feed, you kind of bring the router over a sheet of drywall, fold it. Sometimes we fold it and glue it in our shop. Sometimes we do it on site, depending upon the logistics. Hmm. Uh, so theoretically or not theoretically, it actually in practice, you could have could it do a column and you would have three sides and you would just have one corner bead yeah. needed because you'd wrap it all the way around, put one corner bead on it, tape it. And you can certainly do that. You can butt it up against mullions. You can use it kind of in an office. A lot of times it's most noticeable in offices, kind of a cased opening, essentially anywhere you use a corner bead, it could theoretically. Hmm. And can it cut um, outlets and stuff like that too, or is it just strictly a grooving kind of thing? You could use the machine for that. It's not the most effective. Actually, where we did one of the head walls, we did CNC a bunch of the routings out, but not in-house, but we did have kind of outlet CNC'd. I think that's a much more complicated process that probably has a very narrow use case. Mm -hmm. And then you're really counting on the electrician to have the boxes in the exact spots, or are you getting They're electricians good. They're good. To... Those guys are good. Yeah. Okay. Good. And uh I'm not here to throw stones. Yeah. No, no, I didn't mean that in a bad way, but I'm just saying like that. Yeah. Everybody needs to be on the same page, but with those head walls, everyone was. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I keep on umming, but. Nice. All right. Well, this is exciting and I'm very interested to revisit. When do you project getting one? I know it keeps getting pushed back on you, but when are you expecting to? Soon, soon. Hopefully in six to eight weeks, we're actively rolling. Love it. Have you already bought material, raw material and all that kind of stuff? Got it in this week. And then you haven't uh, even, is there other things that you need to set up? Like, I mean, are you needing, I mean, you probably always had a forklift or whatever, but you, is there like equipment you need for unloading the steel or keep where you're keeping the rolls and all that kind of stuff? Or is it pretty much everything for the, you... For the most part, we've had everything we need, but part of that will also be the fill it out process. Yeah. Yeah, because I just think like, where are you keeping it? Like if you did pump out a thousand studs where you're putting them and like you you know wrapping them and storing them and that's that sublease that we we started with hopefully over time it'll be clearer for us nice right, hopefully well, lean and not sitting on too much material yep okay okay what do you say you're having a happy hour that's that was one idea that was shared with me that i thought made a ton of sense to i like that i'll tell you because when i went to the autodesk space what what did they call that kind of lab they had there makerspace i believe yeah the makerspace um and for people listening, the makerspace was just this basically like a incubator for these startups that, you know, were in the construction space and Autodesk would basically, I don't know if they even charged them, but you would apply to say, hey, here's our tech. And they'd say, okay, here, you can have some of our space. Here's a desk and here's a, a shop where you can, you know, weld and, you know, create things and stuff like that. And they had our machine in there and it was kind of cool because you could, it was almost like a little bubble where you could look down and see all the stuff going on. And I remember watching them pressing, rolling studs and getting my phone out and videoing it and being like, this is wild. That was, 
it's an amazing space. Yeah, I haven't been in there in a while. It's an amazing space. My understanding is if it's not free, it's massively subsidized yep. for people that are using the unbelievable technology there. Yeah. And uh but I the reason I bring it up is like I could see just having a drink and watching that machine work, right? Like if I'm in construction, I'm, I want to go see that. That's the idea is just ultimately build some momentum, get people to understand what we're doing internally so that we can all sell it externally. Yeah. Maybe even if you do it once you have a um, a project online, because that would, that would be what I would ask, right? If I'm there, if you could do a thing where it's, hey, the thing's going to be kind of constantly going because it's a big enough job where it's like pumping out different sizes and knee walls and all that kind of crap. And then you could have someone say, hey, here's how they connect. It's pre pre-punched or it's dimpled or whatever it is here how it goes together and then even on like a big screen or whatever be like hey here's a project you know obviously if you want to take the name off or whatever but like here's the project the reason why we wanted to do the stud roller for this project was we had all these cuts here's like almost like a, a case study not a case What's the right word for that? Yeah, to me, that makes sense. Yeah, kind of like a case study of like, here here was our thought process. Here's the project. This is why it was a good fit for it. And then as it's happening, they're watching the product get spit out. Like, oh, fuck, I'd be there with like popcorn watching it. Like, right? Like That makes sense. And that's probably now listening to it, something we have to do. Yeah. Uh, but we've basically, we just want to generate excitement around us. This isn't in the past, the way we've been as a company, but recognizing where we're going, we need to go celebrate these successes. We need to spread the word. We need to be better at that as a company. And this yeah. is a good reason to do it. It's funny that this is coming up like this. So was it yesterday or the day before? This is I'm so fucking, I'm just, I should throw in the towel now. My brain is Don't fucking do it, mush. Don't do it. Cox asked me to go out and do a class on social media for them. And, you know, it went great. I loved it. And part of the presentation was I kept putting roadblocks in because people just have naturally have roadblocks to sharing stuff, right? And it's very interesting how much of the roadblocks are psychological, right? And so I would sprinkle them in. So I would talk about, hey, here's why you should do it. Here's the benefits. But then I would have a slide but that says, isn't this marketing's job? Right. Cause that's what a lot of people think. Like, why am I doing this? They pay that person a hundred fucking thousand dollars a year. Why are you asking me to type something up? Right. And I explain why. Right. We won't get into it now. And then another one of them was like, you know, well, isn't this just bragging? And hmm. that's a big one for people too. Cause they don't want to be seen of like, oh, look at how great. I... And it's the furthest thing from the truth. It's not about bragging. It's like, think about it is if you can teach and share. And, and like help people learn, like that's not bragging at all. In a lot of cases, it's like you're doing right now is you're like, you know what? I have no fucking idea how this is actually going to work. Like I have some thoughts. Yeah, we got a starting point. Right? And or, hey, I read this article. This is what I learned. Y'all by, by doing that post saying this is what I learned are telling everybody, I didn't know about this. I'm learning just like you. Here's what I learned. So... When to me, when you say in the past we haven't done stuff like this, I think a lot of people always felt like it was uh, showing off, and it's not. Like I would want to go to that because, and I'm never going to hire Central, right? Come on, and, Come on <laughs> you know, on. you know, I don't have a need to. You're not going to do my kitchen reno, right? So, but 
and you would not be trying to sell to me, but I would want to go learn. I would want to, I would actively want to go to that. And I know most PMs and supers and everybody else in this business. And I know, frankly, your competitors would want to go to that too, right? But if you if you could do something where your clients and uh, you know whether it's the owner side or uh, the GC side or even students like reach out to Wentworth and say like hey you know we only have so much room in the shop but if you could carve out like they have their CM club say you know what ten of them for the CM club students and they can decide who they get it with a raffle or something they can come out they can network with people in the industry they can learn about a new technology see it firsthand like that's awesome like that's like a legit like like kind of fun event like that ultimately that's that's what we're talking about we know that we need to do that there's plenty of reasons not to at the end of the day yeah we're gonna make some mistakes there's gonna be some things that we don't do again in the future because they were wrong but Mm. that's not to your point that's not a good reason to not take a step out there that's not that's something that can hold you back. We want to move forward. We want to try things. And we'll be the first ones to admit if something doesn't work. What I What's important to me and the reason why I want to share the successes is so that people will see something work. And when you do it the first time, you don't know. Mm-hmm. And many of them will fail. But the ones that work, we want to spread to make sure that we do them everywhere we should. Yeah. And I almost think like if there's a... Like I love that idea of just put, like putting it out into the world, right? And say, hey, here it is. Like you almost want somebody else to go do it. So here, if you can go do it and get a win, great. That's awesome because I'm going to learn from it. And if I do it and I learn from it and you know, you're TJ McCartney or whoever and you look at it and you decide to buy it, like awesome. We're all going to start building smarter and better. That's like a net positive. I wonder like, to the people listening, if there's someone on that has an upcoming project that you think it's a good fit for, like I think it would be cool for them to let it be showcase. Like I think, like if I'm a GC, and selfishly I would say, like, okay, hey, sorry, you're gonna get uncomfortable. I'm not trying to sell you. This isn't this isn't a setup, but my my wheels are turning. Which is, I would say, like, hell, I'm gonna reach out to Central, say, hey, here's the project I have. Can we do it? Can we roll all the studs? Because I want to show my client that, hey, here's what we're doing. We're going to do zero waste. It's going to be all prefabricated. We're going to have it palletized, show up on the site, stand it all up, and we're going to save you time, money, and be more sustainable. Like That's what I would do. Right? 100%. This, this, this is where we're going. This is what we're doing. And it doesn't need to be the stud roller. I'd say you know, for any GCCM out there, Go challenge your subcontractors. It doesn't need to be us. It can be any of the other great subs in drywall or any other trade ceilings, what have you. If you challenge your subcontractors and tell them what you want, you know it's our job to deliver that. Yeah, it may not work, but we should be all willing to do it. Take the chance. This is this is a specific part of that concept to us. A hundred percent. That's that should be the attitude of. Honestly, the entire building community. And I think that's a lot of what, to me, this podcast is about, is about pushing the industry to take steps in, the, in a thousand good directions. Yeah. I mean, I like to call it the stretch episodes, right? Could you try again? No, Siri. I can't. Leave me alone. Like, why my fucking laptop has Siri? I have no idea. Just stop. That's better. I don't trust Siri. Yeah. Yeah, me neither. No, no one's listening to us, by the way. <laughs> it threw me off. Um, 
Yeah, I, I like to call those stretch episodes where it is, hey, this isn't something that you might be doing today or tomorrow. In this case, yes, it could be today or tomorrow, but these are things that might not be now, but if you're not at least thinking that way, you're doing yourself a disadvantage, right? So to me, it's when we're talking about tokenizing real estate or, uh, you know, whatever the kind of thing is that is just, you're kind of like, oh, we did the one on NFTs, right? Like where it's like, okay, that's way out there. Why are you talking about this thing that is not really part of my job? And that sounds a little weird, but everything sounded a little weird a long time ago. The fact that you would buy anything on your computer sounded weird only 15 years ago. Wild, but true. Right? And the fact that so many stores would be out of business. You're like, oh yeah, hey, you know, all the, you know, Sears or Boys R Us or whatever, they're all going to be out of business because people are just going to buy stuff online. If you said, if someone said that to you 15 years ago, you'd, you'd look at them funny, right? So yeah, that concept, I, I like to call strep, stretch, stretch episodes, but yeah, it's about putting those ideas out there and kind of really pushing people. But to be more explicit where I was going with um, the whole idea of a contractor, like I would say like, if, if I'm a contractor or a GC, I would almost like art know with you on that, whatever you called it, happy hour thing and like use it as like a marketing event for both companies. That's where that you, you maybe don't want people doing that or whatever. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but like, I, that's where like my mind goes. Like, I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity to have like a very interesting, fun, educational activity around uh, prefabrication and manufacturing and construction and like how many people would I know I know a lot of people that would want to go to that right so like I think there's an I think there's it's a long way of me saying there's more of an opportunity to your loose happy idea happy hour idea than you think I think there's a lot of value there we've had conversation that's what we want the first happy hour was going to be kind of internally to get the team aligned around it yeah but we we know that to go change this and take the company in this direction we need the whole community. Uh, I know Joe hates the term built environment, but yep. anybody that's involved kind of with with the process of building a building, we're going to need a lot of buy-in to change some of these things that we recognize that part, education is a, it will be a key part of it. Yeah. And, and, I and hopefully if you can do it over over a drink, it makes uh, makes it easier to get people to yeah. be there and, and understand kind of the, the big picture with yeah. it. I'm smiling and laughing because thinking like you're probably thinking like i've got enough to fucking do with this new machine try and figure this out i just wanted to have people over for a couple of beers and now joe's fucking up my ass about like trying to make it a vent but oh if we're talking yeah. about adding happy hours to my agenda that's okay <laughs> yeah. that's awesome okay. all right well this was excellent and hopefully you're back in a year and slightly embarrassed and slightly successful <laughs> uh, there's a goal right there yeah no that's well there'll be a few mistakes that i can own up to yeah no and i think the embarrassment is like a you know obviously i say that jokingly but i think that's a success because that funny i work so much on trying to like talk to my son about this which like what did you fail at today you know and he has like he was like i used to be which is like he's very afraid to fail and wants to make everybody happy and stuff like that i'm just like you're not learning you're not learning if you're not if you're not failing at things and I think everybody's got things that they're comfortable, different topics, different people have different levels of vulnerability on, but mm. I agree. You got, you got to put yourself out there at some point. Awesome. And this is central doing just that. All right. I love this great episode as far as I'm concerned. 
appreciate you taking the time and letting me pepper you with questions. And uh, I just better get an invite to uh, happy hour. Deal. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Hey, Mescons. What do you think? Some really interesting technology and some really fun ideas that we tossed around at the end of that episode. Please shoot me your feedback and let me know what you think about the technology, those ideas. You can reach me on any social platform you use, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, wherever you are, go ahead and leave me a message and let me know what you think. Also, please consider hopping into the show notes and leaving me a voicemail or become a supporter. Either one of those goes a long way. If you leave a voicemail, we'd love to share it on the show. So please make a note in your voicemail if you're okay with that. Take care, everyone.